Welcome to the Landis Experience podcast featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. Thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Cheyenne Dunham, and I'd like to welcome you to the August 14th episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Tom is out this week, so I'm going to be covering our market update, big story, and some bull bear points. We will have a pre-recorded Tom's take in this episode, and that's going to be followed by a special guest segment where our Director of Communications, Alicia Hewen, had the opportunity to interview FSA Brian Burns about the impacts of Monday's derecho on the crops. So let's start off with our market update. September corn futures closed down three quarters of a cent at 324 and a half, which was up 16 and three quarters from last Friday's close. December corn also closed down three quarters of a cent, and those were at 338, which was a 17 and a quarter cent gain from where we left off last week. Looking at soybeans, November soybeans closed down three quarters of a cent at 898 and three quarters, which was up 31 and a quarter for our week on week. And finally, January beans lost three quarters of a cent today. Those finished at 903 and three quarters, which was a 29 and three quarter cent gain for the week. Moving on to our big story of the week. While I was planning this week's podcast last week, kind of getting an idea of an outline, I really intended for the big story to be Wednesday's WASDE report. Though I think that was mostly overshadowed, at least on a local level, by the widespread storm that cut through central Iowa. Some of you may have heard the word derecho being used in reference to this storm. A derecho is a widespread, long-lived, straight-line windstorm associated with a fast-moving group of severe thunderstorms. Ten million acres of cropland were damaged, as well as millions of bushels of storage lost. Some areas saw winds over 112 miles per hour, and the stretches were as wide as 30 to 50 miles at times. Many communities were left without power for several days as crews worked to clear the damage and repair power lines. As cleanup efforts continue, it's going to take time to determine the exact totals of loss and the long-term impacts. So, I guess you could say we have two big stories this week, because I still want to cover the WASDE report numbers in this section. Let's start out with some carryout numbers. Our 1920 U.S. corn carryout came in at 2.228 billion bushels, which was in line with trade estimates, but on the lower end. U.S. soybean carryout for 1920 came in almost as expected at 615 million bushels. For our 2021 ending stocks, corn feedings were pushed up to 5.925 billion bushels, which put new crop ending stocks at 2.756 billion bushels for corn. However, this was still within the range, but it was below the average trade estimate of 2.8. For the 2021 soybean ending stocks, the USDA put them at 610 million bushels, which was within range but above the average estimate of 525 million. Looking at world carryout without getting too far in the weeds, the USDA lowered the 1920 world carryout on corn and soybeans, with soybeans coming in on the low end of estimates at 95.85 million metric tons versus the average trade estimate of 99.08. For the 2021 world carryout, that also came in within range, but below the average estimates on corn and soybeans, but these were raised slightly from July's report. Yield estimate is probably one of our favorite numbers to look at in this report, and this month's report was no exception. 
The USDA put 2020 U.S. corn yield at 181.8 bushels per acre, with an average trade estimate of 180.4. The USDA's number in the July report was 178.5, so we saw a 3.3 bushel per acre bump. For soybeans, those were more of a surprise because while everyone was expecting to see an increase in the yield estimate, the 53.3 bushel per acre number blew by the upper end of estimate range and was a 3.5 bushel per acre increase from the July report. Again, it's important to note that this data was all pre-Monday's storm, so we could expect some major adjustments in coming reports as the true extent of crop damage is assessed. And with that, let's move on to the bull bear factors. So for corn bull factors, a couple of things to point out outside of the extensive damage from Monday's storm. Old crop corn sales last week came in at 14.8 million bushels, which is the largest we've seen in four weeks. We need to continue seeing strong shipments in the last weeks of the marketing year to hit the USDA's target. For new crop sales, those were also within expectations and generally uninspiring, but total 2021 commitments are now at 452 million bushels, which were well above last year's same-time number of 173 million and the largest new crop sales we've seen in early August in 24 years. For bear factors on corn, U.S. ethanol production declined last week for the second week in a row. That's down 4 million gallons to 270 million. For perspective, the same week last year was 307 million. At this point, it's unlikely we're going to meet the USDA's projected 4.85 billion bushel corn for ethanol usage by the end of the marketing year. For soybeans, our bull factors. Last week was a big one for both old and new soybean sales, both above expectations with old crop coming in at 20.9 million bushels and new crop at 104.3 million. However, there was a note that a large portion of the old crop sales were to China and those were late reported and not technically made last week. Overall, total new crop commitments are at 661 million bushels versus 164 million at the same time last year. And that's in line with the all-time high new crop sales for this time of year. We saw that in the 13-14 and 14-15 marketing years. And finally, for our soybean bear factors, I think that 53.3 bushels per acre yield estimate was the biggest surprise in the August WASDE report, and the main bear factor I can think to point out. That pencils out to 4.425 billion bushel production number, which is up 290 million from the July report. Of course, the trade won't take a lot of stock in that number long term after Monday, but it's going to be harvest before we get a true idea of the storm's impact on yield. With harvest less than 40 days away for kicking off in many areas, that doesn't leave a lot of time to speculate. A couple of things we want to note on our what to watch for in upcoming events. Every week we keep an eye on Monday afternoon's crop progress report. The one next week could be particularly eventful as we see some post-derecho condition ratings. Also, with harvest approaching, make sure you join us for one of our virtual pre-harvest meetings, where we're going to cover grain policy updates and have a meet and greet with our president and CEO, Matt Karstens. We have nine 30-minute meetings, which are going to be held between August 19th and August 26th. You can register for those on our website, and everyone who registers for our meeting is entered to win a $50 gift card to a local restaurant in their area. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Tom offered up some words of wisdom for today's episode before he left for the week. So here's our Tom's take. 
Over the course of the past few months, I and many of our grain marketing advisors have heard from several people that regretted the decision they made last fall to use a marketing alternative instead of putting their bushels on storage. The comments come in many forms, but the basic message is along the lines of, I'll never do that again. During each of these types of conversations, we do our best to remind people of what they, and we, were thinking during harvest of 2019. Most of us expected a large increase in Chinese purchases due to what was eventually termed Phase 1. We also expected other demand sectors to remain steady or perhaps even increase. So, despite a large U.S. crop, we were optimistic that prices would rise. And at that time, we were also hearing that most farmers did not have enough grain, primarily corn, sold ahead of harvest, and that they did not want to pay commercial storage. It was in that light that we suggested and encouraged the use of a marketing alternative. In fact, we presented three different marketing alternatives before the 2019 harvest that would avoid storage fees and cap shrink and drying on corn at 15% moisture. The first one was extended price, where you sell your cash and in effect you're buying the board. This was one shown to have the greatest risk-reward profile. For every cent that the board went up, you captured that entire cent. We also said the same for every cent on the way down. You would lose the entire cent. The second one was minimum price where you sell your cash and buy a call against either the March, May, or July board, depending on how much time you wanted to buy. This one had a more moderate risk-reward profile. For every cent that went up, you would only capture about half of the gain. But your downside was known, hence the term minimum price. You would know exactly how much downside you would be agreeing to if prices dropped straight down. The third one was minimum maximum price, or what we referred to as min-max. Similar to a minimum price contract, you would sell the cash price and then buy a call against the March, the May, or the July futures, and at the same time, sell a call for the same month, perhaps 50 cents or more above the one you bought. This one had the lowest risk-reward profile, as your floor or minimum price would be higher, but your upside would also be capped. As we worked through the marketing year, in almost every single case, all of these three worked out better than if the bushels had been put on storage. But as we all know now, our assumptions weren't correct. In hindsight, it's very easy to see that just selling it in October or November would have been the best thing to do. But things changed, and they changed in a very significantly negative way. Coronavirus shut down large parts of the economy across the world for a major portion of the year. Oil demand, and subsequently, ethanol demand, was drastically reduced. Feed demand declined. Prices dropped farther and quicker than any of us imagined possible. I've also used the analogy of a person that buys a new car after doing a lot of homework. This person bought what they believed to be the safest car on the market. That was their only criteria, buy the safest car. And then one day, as they're driving down the highway, paying attention to everything coming at them and operating safely, a drunk driver crosses the center line and plows right into them. In any other vehicle, they might be a goner, but they had the car that prevented major injuries. However, the car was totaled. And they get angry at the car because it did not help them avoid the unavoidable crash. It's kind of like that with any of these marketing alternatives. You had the vehicle to avoid storage prices, and it did what it was designed to do, but it did not and could not prevent a major market crash like we have seen. So I say don't get mad at the vehicle, the marketing alternative. It was the drunk crossing the center line, the market, that caused the problem. Please don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Also, realize that by the time we get to harvest, anything unsold is subject to all the market moves one way or the other. We think you should minimize your risk as much as you're comfortable with. If you truly no longer want to use marketing alternatives like these, then you need to get comfortable with forward contracting. 
because putting it in a bin, whether yours or ours, is not going to prevent a major market meltdown any better than these three did. We still believe these marketing alternatives have a place in a well-thought-out marketing plan, but they only work well if the market improves. If you don't think prices will rise, you should just sell. However, if you are optimistic about prices and would like to know more about marketing alternatives prior to harvest, contact your local grain marketing advisor now. It's a lot easier to learn about them before you need to use them. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, I think that's all I have for you guys today. We want to thank you for listening to our bull bear section. Make sure you stay tuned for our special segment with FSA Brian Burns on the aftermath of this week's derecho. Well, happy Friday afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us, uh, for staying online for this special interview for the Landis Experience podcast. This is Alicia Hewen, and I have special guest Brian Burns, our field sales agronomist out of the Chardin and Farnaville area. And Brian's going to share with us a little bit about what he's been seeing uh, from the derecho this week and what he's been talking about with our customers. So even though he's in uh, the Chardin area, our customers and our locations have been impacted all the way through Greene County, down to Woodward, over to Bondurant. And so he has some insights uh, for all of our growers, regardless of where they are. So Brian, you shared with me a little bit uh, this morning about the three types of damage that you're seeing to corn. So talk through with the listeners, what are those three types and how do they identify what their situation is? So yeah, thanks for having me on, Alicia. So what we're seeing out here in the cornfields after the storm is we can kind of classify it into three different types of damage. Um, we've got twisted up corn out here. We've got root lodged corn out here. And then we've got corn that's broken or kinked in the field. And to kind of go in detail on each one of those, the, the twisted up corn is maybe being found more on the fringes of this storm. Uh, these are the fields that have pockets that are kind of lodged and pushed around a little bit, but for the most part, we're still looking at corn that's semi-upright. There's just pockets out there that are kind of leaned, leaned into each other and not the perfect row anymore. Um, and these, most of these fields probably have the potential to yield very close to what their overall po yield potential is going to be. They're just going to, you know, probably be fields that we need to monitor a little closer as we go into harvest, making sure we're not having stock issues, stock rots and things that cause those lean plants to become more lodged and more of a problem down the road. Uh, the second group, the root lodge fields seeing an awful lot of this out here. This is probably actually the biggest group in my trade territory um, that's out here. And these are the fields that basically the wind tipped the plant over at the root system. So they're anywhere from completely flat to a pretty severe angle to the, to the ground where the wind pushed that plant so hard that instead of breaking, it actually just tipped the root system out of the ground. So you can got exposed roots sticking up out of the ground in a plant laying horizontal. And these fields are probably ones that are gonna present some real challenges for guys trying to harvest. Um, they're down flat enough that it's hard to make out rows. And these are the ones that we think there will definitely be some kind of a yield impact to them. Uh, when you stack those plants on top of each other like that, they're no longer as efficient, photosynthetically speaking, trying to, trying to build that photosynthate and put that into, into the grain. So these are the ones that, 
are really kind of tricky in trying to give the grower an answer. What kind of a yield hit are we really looking at on these? Uh, university data is ranged all the way from maybe 10 to 30% losses in these fields. And, and it really is just hard to answer because weather coming is going to have a big impact on them. If we can get timely rains, we've damaged that root system, but we get timely rains, we can do a better job of filling grain. If we don't get rains, we're going to have a tougher time with that damaged root system of trying to finish out that ear. So these are the ones that are, are definitely a little more tricky to, to assess, but there's still good potential out of them. The biggest challenge is obviously going to be getting them in the combine. And then the final group would be the broken and kink stocks. And a lot of the broken ones we're finding, these are ones that broke typically on a node where there may have been a, a pre-problem already in place. A lot of what I've seen is they broke on nodes where there was physoderma disease had already damaged that node and then they broke off at the node or some of them actually kinked between the nodes and the kinking seems to me like it's taken place most commonly in fields that were hybrids that were maybe a little further advanced or a little closer to mature so that stock maybe wasn't the integrity wasn't as good as it once was and they kinked over more easily or these are ones that it's a hybrid thing that some of the hybrids just simply don't have as much rind strength or rind thickness on the outer part of that stock and they gave way much easier. Uh, these are the ones I'm most concerned about, obviously, for a yield hit. A broke off plant at this stage of the game is really probably pretty much a, a total loss. We haven't filled that ear enough that we're really going to get much of a harvestable kernel there. The kinked ones will attempt to, to continue to fill that ear as best they can, but obviously with a kinked over stock, we're gonna we're gonna see small kernels and abortion of kernels yet on those and, and an ear that's gonna lose quite a bit of overall fill and weight when we get to harvest. So a few maybe bright spots if we can get the forecast to look a little better here for some timely rains, but lots of tough news on on how things are looking potentially on the corn on the corn front. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of tough news. I've had a lot of growers asking, you know, do you think some of this is going to stand back up? And, you know, we do typically, we're talking about that, that root lodge group as being a lot of what's out here. We are used to seeing those, you know, kind of gooseneck their way back upwards after a windstorm. But unfortunately, this wind came late enough. We do not have much cell elongation left or any cell elongation going on in these plants. And so at that point, there's really just no growth to drive that upward turn and that goosenecking effect. So, yeah, yeah. Mother, mother nature's cruel timing on that one. Yeah, it really was. I mean, that's unfortunately, you know, the one thing this is showing us out here looking at these fields is there was, all, there was really quite good corn out here, but mother nature threw a cruel twist at us. Yeah. We thought the drought was going to be the problem in our territory, but maybe not. So I drove, uh, I know you're up in the Chardin area. I know you've been in a pretty wide radius. I had the opportunity or I guess misfortune, if you want to put it that way, to drive from Greene County, uh, from Jefferson down to Woodward earlier this week and thought that the beans were looking pretty good in our neck of the woods. And then as I got closer to Woodward, Woodward I think someone described it to me as they look like fields of straw. So what are you seeing on soybeans and, and what should uh, folks be thinking about? Yeah, so on the soybean side, you know, luckily there's kind of two two kinds of damage on the soybeans. There's there's the wind exposure that they went through and then there's hail damage. And a lot of the wind damage beans, beans were shorter than normal this year. We have a lot of our inner nodes are closer together 
on our bean plants this year, probably because of lack of rains through late June and early July, mid-July timeframe. And that shorter plant has actually allowed the beans to take the wind pretty well. We did not see the lodging in the beans that we've seen some years when you would have an event like this at this time of the year. Um, but then you've got the pockets of hail all throughout the storm and those pockets of hail, unfortunately, I don't have good news for growers on that one. My experience has been that when we see much hail damage at this time of the year, we lose photosynthetic, we lose that leaf area. Soybeans, for lack of a better word, I kind of call them quitters when you uh, when you stress them this time of year and, and take that leaf area away. They have a tendency to not fill the pod very well. And oftentimes I've seen hail adjusted fields at this time of year turn out to be much worse in their yield outcome than even what the hail adjuster had come up with, simply because what it looks like there is for pods today doesn't always turn out to be filled pods because of the stress that's taken place at this calendar date. So it's it's those hail pockets out here that I'm definitely most concerned about on the soybeans. The wind pockets will probably come through fairly well. Good. Good. So it's a little bit of good news if you didn't have hail, yeah. hail on your beans. Yeah, if you didn't have hail on the beans, I mean, hope it, hopefully people got decent rain. I know in my territory we did out of this, and boy, it's a very timely rain as far as pod fill on the beans. So, you know, hopefully the beans are able to make good on the fact that we did get the rain that they needed to help fill pods. Good. Well, you've just shared a lot of information, and if you're like some folks, the biggest question is, well, what, what in the heck do I do next? You know, I get my, I get my house taken care of. I get my yard cleaned up. I get my, you know, steel out of the field, but what, what comes next? Yeah. So obviously, you know, everybody needs to take, take care of the family, take care of the home. But as far as the, the farm fields and our crop out here, you know, really the next step growers need to be doing is just getting out in these fields and assessing what's out there. You know, assess the damage that's happened, and it's important to do that so we know how to head into harvest. You know, what kind of harvest equipment are we going to need to get through this crop? You know, what kind of damage is out there? And, you know, is it going to get worse with further weather events? So we know how to time the harvest of different fields out here. And as much as anything, just trying to get a handle on what kind of yield is, is left out there capable of being brought in by the combine. So we can be looking ahead to how we're gonna how we're gonna market that grain out there. I mean, we yes, we've got damage out here, but we still have to have to have a plan for how we're gonna move into this fall and market that grain. And I know this has not been a good market that we're working in right now, but going in with no plan is probably the worst plan that you can have right now. So I would encourage growers to go out, try to make assessments on this crop, get a better handle on where you think your yields are headed, and then work with your local GMA and Landis to, to find out what your options are and, and what things you can be doing now to help build a better marketing plan. Take a little control where you can and put together, yep. put together a plan. Well, Brian, this has been uh, really useful information. Is there anything else that you would leave uh, with our podcast listeners today? Yeah, I'd throw out as on the agronomy side, be be ready to to work with your local field sales agronomist. I know as a company, we're soon to bring out some programs to give growers opportunities to book fertilizers, early seed discounts on early booking programs and that similar to what we've done in the past. And typically these have been some of the best buys you're going to see on those inputs for the coming year. So be on the lookout for that opportunity coming. I know we're soon to be launching that and we'll be getting a hold of growers.
yeah, lots to lots to think about, lots to look at, and an opportunity to kind of get through the next couple of days, get through the next couple of weeks, and start thinking about what 2021 looks like. Yep, hopefully 2021 <laughs> is, is a better year, I guess, is the best I, way. <laughs> I think that that would be a very common theme that we hope yeah. next year is better. So, Brian, thanks so much. And thanks to Tom and Cheyenne for letting us uh, share the Landis Experience podcast today. You bet. Thank you. I think that's all we have for you today. We appreciate you joining us for the Bull Bear Banter. If you'd like to contact us, you can send a tweet to at Landis Co-op or drop an email to podcast at LandisCooperative.com. Our tagline is bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs just go to market. If you have any questions regarding grain marketing decisions, please reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll be back with you again next week. <music>